may be seated, and we're going to start at Psalms 33:11 today, and I would recommend you take your pew Bible out and you follow along today. We're going to be reading a lot of Bible today. Uh, I'm going to do a message today titled The War in Israel. I heard this message done by a past, pastor in Texas, and I asked y'all if y'all thought it'd be good for us to, uh, to do that. And so I am going to do that. Can everybody hear okay? Uh, do we need to turn up a little bit? I'll try to speak up as good as I can. I have to confess to y'all, I'm in the middle of a bout with chronic fatigue. I need your prayers. <clears throat> I'm low energy, so I'm going to need all, all I've got to get through this. I want to go through and, and talk about what's going on in the war in Israel. And, uh, because I think it will encourage you as believers to understand Everything that's happening in the world today can be explained using God's word. And so we will launch from Psalms 33:11. The counsel of Yahweh stands forever. The thoughts of his heart from generation to generation. The purpose, the design, the decree, the counsel of God is eternal. He is firmly in control of history from beginning to the end. The thoughts of his heart are seen in each generation in the salvation of believers and in the destruction of unbelievers. Job would put it this way. He is of one mind. Who can turn him? And what his soul desires, that's what he does. No one can change his mind or change his purpose. In Proverbs 19.21. It says. Many are the devices in your heart. But the counsel of the Lord. That's what's going to stand. So there's no devious plottings. Taking place today by politicians. Or pharmaceutical companies. Or whatever. That can be done outside of God's absolute control. And so why do we worry about that stuff? Why do we get caught up in that? For believers, we've got this great understanding about the beginning and the end of history. In the end, in Ephesians 1, 9, it tells us that God is making known to us the mystery of His will. In verse 9 of Ephesians 1. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. So what is the purpose? Where does it come from? It comes from God and his good pleasure that he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, whenever time that is, that's coming, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, those which are in heaven and which are on earth. And in the end... The only thing that anyone will be able to say, Paul tells us in Romans 11, 33 and 34. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Of course, the answer is no one. No one. So the, the counsel of Yahweh stands forever. 
And what we see unfolding in the war in Israel is the long war against Israel that's been going on for thousands of years. And so I want to take a look at, through the lens of Scripture, how we can understand what's going on there in the world today. So if we just look at recent history, and I'm going to reach back to 70 A.D. In 70 A.D., Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and it was rubble all the way up through the 1700s. Because I, I read an eyewitness account of George Whitfield who traveled to Jerusalem in the 1700s, and he said it was just piles of rubble. And it wasn't until 1948 that something miraculous happened. I don't know how you explain this apart from the Bible. 1900 years after Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews were scattered throughout the earth, they became a nation again in 1948. That's hard to explain that apart from this book. In the 75 years since that time, there have been multiple attempts to wipe them completely out. In 2005, Israel offered the Palestinians the Gaza Strip in a peace treaty. Shortly after that, the terrorist organization Hamas took control of the Gaza Strip. And since that time, uh, they live in an environment that's hard for us to understand, where your mortal enemies are right on the other side of a wire. And so they, Israel has to manage hospital supplies and goods and things like that in and out of that without violating their security. On October 7th, just about, what, 35, 60 days ago, Hamas brutally attacked Israel and took 150 hostages. Now, I think they released 10 of the hostages. I think there's 140 now. But they brutally attacked on one of the holy days of Israel. And they killed women and children. Innocents, what we would consider non-combatants. And it appears that this was planned and coordinated through Iran. And the Hezbollahs of Iran repeatedly, again and again, have said they, their entire purpose is the extermination of every Jew on this planet. Now because this war breaks out over there from time to time, it's easy for us to just think, well, it's just another war. It's just another war. But this is the largest war in Israel in 50 years. And as we'll look in a few minutes at some scripture, there's going to come a final war. Is this it? I don't know. It could be. Today, I really want to comfort you believers in the face of these things with the word of God. Because God's word explains what is going on in the world today. You're not going to find any explanation anywhere else than in this book. So how are we to understand this war in Israel today? Number one, historically. 
The war today is rooted in history, particularly Genesis 12. And that's where we're going to go first if you want to go to Genesis 12. And then second, theologically and finally prophetically. And we're going to look at various texts. So first, historically, if we go to Genesis chapter 12, we can see that this conflict is rooted in sacred history. We see God choosing of Abraham and his descendants and making a covenant with them. And we see him making this promise and repeating this promise multiple times throughout these chapters here in Genesis. So in Genesis 12, 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from your kindred and from your father's house and to the land that I will show thee and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now that is a promise of Messiah. Because it's only through Messiah that all the nations of the earth can be blessed through Abraham. And then in verse 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto, unto him, Your seed I'll give this land. And he builds an altar there. And so let's jump over to chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. And the Lord said unto Abram, After that lot was separated from him, Lift up now your eyes, and look from the place where you are north, south, east, and west, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your seed forever. And then we jump to Genesis 15. And just verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And then in, uh, we, we got to look at, just read verse 6, because verse 6 is the theme of Romans and the theme of the New Testament. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Praise God, hallelujah. We believe in the Lord, and it's credited to our account. And then in verse 8 of Genesis 15, and he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I shall inherit it, inherit this land? And he said... Take me a heifer three years old and, and a goat. And he, and he takes these offerings. And divi- these offerings are divided. These animals are chopped up and separated. And it says that God walked between these divided animals. And he makes a covenant with Abraham. He's basically saying, if this covenant is not kept, let what happened to these animals happen to me. And the covenant was made to Abraham again in in 15 and then in 17 again. So Abraham's 99, 90 years old and 9 in Genesis 17. The Lord appears to Abraham and says, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Verse 2. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. 
And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Neither shall your name be any more called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations I have made you, and I will make you exceeding fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto you and to your seed after you. And I will give unto you and to your seed after you the land wherein you are a stranger, the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I will be their God and I will be their God. So you see, multiple times God promises the land to Abraham for an everlasting possession. And he's also made this covenant with Abraham to bless all of the people of the earth through Messiah. Now that's where we see the promise of that land being given to Israel. Next, the source of the conflict takes place in these same chapters. In Genesis in 16, Abraham's 86 years old in Abraham 16. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, in Genesis 16, verse 1. Sarah, Abraham's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abraham, Now, behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And so we see that Abraham and Isaac, Abraham has been promised and Sarah that they would have a child. And they're impatient. Abraham's 75 when that promise is first made. And this is 4,000 years ago, about 2000 B.C. And, and so they get a little impatient after 11 years or so here. And he's 86, and so they want to help God out. And so rather than being patient and waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promise, they go outside of that promise and the bounds that they should have. And we have a child born. And in verse 10 of that same chapter 16, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, So, uh, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall be not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael. He's speaking to Hagar here. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. He will be a wild man. This is the key verse. He will be a wild man. And his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of of all his brethren. So Ishmael's descendants are the Arabs, the Muslims, that are bent on the extermination of Israel. So this conflict is rooted between the conflict between two brothers, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael's descendants, God said, I'm going to bless you, Hagar. There's going to be a lot of seeds. There were 12 princes that came from him. And we even read over in Galatians where this is an allegory, right? He talks about this. And don't have time to, to do that, but uh, we see that 
570 AD, there was a religion formed called Islam and the Quran written in 570 AD. And it's through that religion that they've been able to maintain some, some resemblance of unity because as you remember, the, the prophecy was that his hand's going to be against every man and his hand against everybody else. So they've been fighting with one another, warring, they still do to this day. Islam has given them some sense of unity. But uh, that is the root, the source of this conflict and where it comes from. So from 2000 BC to now 4,000 years, this has been proven again and again and again throughout the wars of history. There are 456 Muslims in 22 countries that surround Israel today. 6.8 million Jews surrounded by 456 million Muslims. Now, not all of those Muslims want to exterminate Israel. Okay? It's mainly by what people call the extremists who are actually following the Koran more closely than the rest of them. But the promise was to Isaac, not to Ishmael, that that land would be given forever. And so that's how you understand the war in Israel today. It's rooted all the way back here. And everything that we see as we look at history proves that this is true. So the second way we should think about this is theologically. This war in Israel. The second way we should think about it is theologically. <clears throat> and what do I mean by that? Well, in the study of God and his word, which is theology, we understand this war in Israel is a spiritual war. This is a spiritual war that we first see break out in Genesis chapter 3. There's a war in heaven. We're going to read some of these texts. And the war started against humanity in Genesis chapter 3. And this war was instigated by Satan. And he continues this war to this day. Why? Why is there such opposition to the Jews? It's because the Jews were chosen. Abraham was chosen. And then he was multiplied and ascended. And it is through the Jews that we have this book. And it's through the Jews that we have the Messiah. God chose the Jewish people to give us the word and the word. That's why they are hated by the world system. The satanic world system is at war with God's people and with the word of God. In Psalms 147, 19 and verse 20. He shows his word unto Jacob. His statutes and his judgments unto Israel. He has not dealt so with any nation. And his, 
And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Right there at the end of the Psalms, it says, God hadn't dealt with every nation the way he dealt with Israel. For it's this nation that he chose to give us the word and the word. In Romans 9, Paul also says this in verses 4 and 5. He said, who are the Israelites? Who are Israelites? He's answering a question there. Romans 9, 4 and 5. Who are Israelites to whom pertains the adoption? God adopted Jews out of all the nations of the earth and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises who are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came who is over all God Bless forever. Amen. So Satan's war is with God and, and with God's written word and with the living word. He initiated this war against Messiah in Genesis 3. And we've got some confirmation of this because Jesus says in, in John 8, 44, y'all remember what he says about Satan. In fact, he's saying this about the religious leaders of his day. The Jews. The Jewish religious leaders of his day, he says, you are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. Is there any truth on the internet? Well, yeah, there is some. But not a whole lot unless you're going to Blue Letter Bible or something like that. Or a good sight, and there are some. Satan's propaganda, uh, he's got more technology today than ever to keep propagating his lies. There's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. That's what Christ said of Satan. In Genesis 3, he comes and he has his first strike at Messiah. So God, Satan comes, and what does he attack first? Written word, God's word. Maybe not written down at that time, but God's word said, don't eat of that tree. You can have, here's your 10 million trees full of fruit and abundance and plenty. Just this one you're not to eat of. And Satan comes along and says, well, you can't trust God. Oh, he's holding out on you. You can be God. You can make it up as you go. You can make your own laws, your own rules. You can be God. And we believe that lie and we're suffering the consequences to this day. And the war in Israel is evidence of the consequence of this ongoing spiritual war. Whenever the first prophecy of Messiah is also given there in Genesis chapter 3, we see that <clears throat> uh, it says Adam knew Eve in Genesis 4.1. Adam knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man child from the Lord. And then you've got Cain and Abel there, and you see the first murder takes place. And we see Satan as the murderer inspires Cain to commit the first murder. We see again uh, that Satan takes another strike at genealogy and Messiah. Because that murder of Abel was like striking out at the genealogy of Adam and Eve from which Messiah would come. And we see that again in uh, 
Second Chronicles 22. Y'all remember Queen Athaliah? So Queen Athaliah comes along. We've got King Ahaz Ahaziah. And he dies. And Queen Athaliah in 2 Chronicles 22 and verse 10. And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal of the house of Judah. And there was nothing left but a one-year-old little boy that was hid. The last descendant of the house of David from which Messiah would come. Satan inspired a wicked woman. You know what she did? She killed all her grandsons. She murdered them. That's got to be inspired by Satan. That's not natural love of a mother for children and grandchildren. That is part of this ongoing satanic war against God and his people and Messiah. And of course, nothing is ever of any question. And God can raise up believers out of these rocks out here in the driveway, right? Christ told us that. That can raise up believers anywhere. God is never thwarted. His plan was right on track. And he does things like this in history just to show us, I got this. There's nothing that's ever under any doubt related to God's providence in history. Another strike at Messiah in this ongoing spiritual war took place in Matthew 2.7, prophesied in the Old Testament. Herod, acting under the authority of Satan, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared, right? Oh, I want to worship the Messiah. Yeah. Where's he at? And God comes to these wise men in a dream and tells them to leave another way in Matthew 2 and 12. And so they depart another way because they're warned about Herod. And then in verse 16 of Matthew 2, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth. He was angry. And he sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Who goes out and slaughters without any bounds whatsoever? Babies. Hamas. Satan. Herod does it here. That's a direct strike at Messiah taking place again. Just so that we understand who's behind all false religion, there's only one way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way. In Revelation, Revelation 17, we have the great whore of Babylon, it's called. It's a religious system. And it's interesting that that's placed in Rome with the seven hills around it. That, that institution still exists today. But what it does is it amalgamates. It absorbs any other religions that any of Satan's demons that fell from heaven create in various 
places to deceive people. It's all being drawn up under one breast. The big ecumenical pagan false religion is what we see there in Revelation 17. And in all of those false religions are under the power of Satan to deceive and to destroy God's people and God's word. I mean, even this past week, the head of that particular institution over there came out and said, we need to change theology to make it more contextual for what's going on in the world today. Now, not all false religions urge their people to kill innocents. Okay, I just want to, not all of them are doing that. We must love them and we must pray for them. We must try to talk to them about the truth because we understand the end and what's at stake and how powerful the deceit of Satan is. Within this war that's going on in Israel, Islam is about subjugating people by force to Islam. Now I'm talking about the main ones that are in authority of these terrorist groups. They want to submit everyone by force to Islam. And the other way they conquer is how? By overpopulating you. You know that they control most political blocks in Europe today. When I was in London uh, a few years ago, the first Muslim mayor of London was elected in history. I think there's a majority of Muslims living in London than English-speaking people. Um, United States, by 2050, it's estimated, if you look at population growth. So this is one of the ways that they subjugate societies. They bring in, they bring in their theocracy. And this is mainly uh, empowered by Satan. We read in 1 Corinthians 10, 18, so that we would understand this. Paul's talking about pagan religions. He said, those that, the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. We can't drink that cup and the cup of God. This is a spiritual war that's against Israel. And it takes place through religion. Satan has ministers that look like what? Ministers of light. And they come. We got them. I'm telling you. Primitive Baptists got them. Preaching false doctrine. Just because we got the same name over the door doesn't mean every institution is following it. The name over the door, what matters is, are they holding to Christ as the head and are they following and submitting to this word? Just a few more texts about this ongoing war. In 1 Chronicles 21.1, I'm going to run through these a little quick. You may not be able to turn to these. It says, Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. In Job 1.6, during worship service, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. He's trying to keep your mind distracted. You ever come here and have struggle focusing? I was struggling with that until about the fourth hymn today. And praise God for these hymns that help us focus so that we can get our minds on the truth and the word so that we can worship the Lord God Almighty. And, and Zechariah 3.1 And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at 
his right hand to resist him. Matthew 4.10, Satan says to Jesus, Then Jesus says to Satan, Get out of here, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord God, and him only shall you serve. And the number one attack of Satan on Jesus Christ and on you is this. If you be a son of God, if you be a child of God, that's where he is going to attack you every time initially. And you do what Jesus did. You give him word back. Right? In Matthew 16, 23, he turned and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. I don't want to be so lazy and misunderstanding in my truth that he could get a hold of me and use me like he did to speak untruth there through Peter. That's frightening, isn't it? And then in Acts 26, 18, what was the purpose of the gospel? Going out at that time to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That war is still going on. And the church of Jesus Christ is leading the charge against the gates of hell and we're storming the gates of hell in this world and we're rescuing God's people and bringing them to Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, I already mentioned this. No marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Paul gave some ministers over to Satan in 1 Timothy 1, 20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. He's getting in everywhere. And so yet we have to be aware. And this word and this truth is what we have to identify that. To identify the war that's going on in our life and in our families and in our communities. Because it is a war that's still going on. And that's what's going on over there in Israel today. I was reading this about Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was a man who stood up for the word of God and the truth. And he was burned at the stake by the predominant religious institution of his day. And he said this in one of his messages. And now I will ask you a strange question. Who is the most diligent preacher in all of the land? Who is he that labors more abundantly than all other preachers in the world? Who is it that is never out of his study, nor his pulpit, always studying humanity, and clearly understands the stakes of eternal wrath? It is Satan. He is ever moving against the Yahweh and his people. He is always preaching and infiltrating with his tares and dupes of his agenda. He is never idle. He never wastes his study time on anything else. He's always at it. He knows his time is short. And he is trying to lull you to sleep through all of your trappings, as Marvin says. <laughs> through all the trappings that we have. So this long war against Israel, against the Jews, and against God's Messiah, and Christ's body today is a spiritual war. In Revelations 13, 5, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking. And in 7, And it was given unto him. So do you see, 
God has to give him the authority to do this war or he can't do it. So right there in Revelation 13, 5 and 7, it says, And there was given unto him. And there was given unto him. That's being given to him for God's purposes and God's end. We always have to remember, as we move into the final point, we need to understand this prophetically, that God declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. And nobody can change that. And every day there are things happening in the world. Don't get flustered. Don't get upset. Be sober-minded and be prepared to stand before Him. Because you might stand before Him today. And so we have to understand this war through prophecy also. And mainly what I mean prophetically is I mean that every promise God has made will be fulfilled. God gave those promises to Israel and in Jeremiah 31, 37, Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, can can you measure heaven? All the planets, if heaven above can be measured... In the foundations of the earth searched out, I will cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Think about that. For all that they have done. Think about everything that they have done, that you have done against the Messiah. And yet, he said, for those that are in this covenant of grace, I can't cast them off. There's no such thing as double jeopardy with God. Your sins have been judged on the cross In Christ. Hallelujah. In Matthew 23, 31. Jesus here is talking about the prophecy of what was going to happen as he was standing there. He says, you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which kill the prophets. So this long war that was going on against Israel was actually being perpetrated by Jews themselves. Jews became involved in the war against themselves. They began, They killed the prophets. And Jesus is pronouncing judgments upon them. And he said, fill you up the measure of your father, your fathers, in Matthew 23, 32. He, then he says, you serpents, you generation of snakes, who can escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them you shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel into the blood of Zacharias, son of Barakas, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Jesus said, This temple is going to be torn down. And it happened. It happened in 70 AD. Brothers and sisters, there is going to come, as we looked at in Romans 11, I don't have time to go to all all of this, but in Romans 11, we went through, in context, in Romans 11, it's talking about the nation of Israel and Jews. And there's going to come a day, it says there, when there's going to be a great outpouring and a revival amongst Jews. 
Think about it this way. Y'all remember whenever Moses went up on the mountain and there was the uh, golden calf and God says, man, this is a stiff-necked bunch. I'm just going to wipe them all out and then I'm going to bless you and you'll have more seed. And, and, and Moses is actually being provoked by God there to intercede for Israel. He's not going to destroy him. And Moses says there, and he beseeches God in Exodus 32. And he says this to God. He said, the Egyptians would say that you brought them out just to kill them. And to consume them off the faith of the earth. He said, Lord, please don't do that. Remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self. And said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I will give unto your seed. And they shall inherit it forever. And Moses stands up and intercedes there. And, and of course, the point of that is that if God had destroyed them, what would that say about God? So imagine if Israel didn't inherit the land over there. And imagine if... There was no great revival in pouring out on Israel. One of the ways that God is going to get massive glory for himself is that in the end, there is going to be a remnant in Israel of mass conversion that are going to be saved. And we read that about the remnant in Romans 9.27. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of a sea, a remnant shall be saved. He repeats that again in Romans 11. And he says, if the casting away of Israel was so that you might be reconciled to God, the Gentiles, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? There's going to come a great, marvelous, it may be going on already. I'm seeing some ministries where there's some things going on over in Israel already. Where there's people, I've seen a, a group of a Christian church over there of Jews that are going out on the street and they're handing some of these Jews Isaiah 53 and say, read that out loud. And then they ask them, who is that? And what's shocking is many of those Jews, and this is their Old Testament, said, I've never heard that before. Isaiah 53 the chapter of the gospel there in the Old Testament. But there is going to be a great pouring out of God. And one of the also frightening things which Paul says in Romans 11, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Brothers and sisters, for nearly 1900 years, there have been hardly any Jews. There's always been a remnant, I believe, amongst them too. But how many have perished and gone to eternal wrath for the last 1900 years since Messiah came? Behold the goodness and the severity of God. God does what he wants to do. And that's what he's doing in the world. And we should fear and tremble as we consider these things. Is this the last war in Israel? I don't know. I don't know if it's the last one or not. But I know in Revelation 17, 19, and 20, it talks about that last war where everybody's going to be gathered around against Israel over there. And, of course, we read here, it's a pretty short war. It says, fire came down from heaven and God consumes them. 
Because there's going to be a final battle and a final gathering to try to exterminate Israel over there, if I understand it right. So we need to be prepared. How are we as believers to understand what is going on in Israel today using the Bible? Historically, theologically, and prophetically. The counsel of Yahweh stands forever. The thoughts of his heart from generation to generation. You want to see the thoughts of God's heart? Look what's going on in the world. The thoughts of his heart from generation to generation. What should our response be? What should our response be for this war that's going on in Israel? It needs to be a Luke 13 response. There were at that present, at that season, some that told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said to them, Do you think these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered these things? Or the 18 souls upon whom this tower, accident, right? Tower falls on 18 souls. He says, no, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. On Saturday, October 7th, there were 1,200 people who woke up in eternity with their eternal state fixed forever and they didn't know when they went to bed that was going to happen Jesus says tower may fall this may happen our response is we need to be <coughs> repentant believers in Jesus Christ and be prepared to meet him in joy and thanksgiving we need to also be aware mothers and dads everybody here there are consequences that will be multiplied through history through choices you make like Abraham and Sarah. How you speak to each other, the state of our families. I am seeing a situation from people I love that it breaks my heart because I know a, a young woman that's got kids and every man that has been in her life has failed her. Failed to teach her truth and to live it in front of her. Every man in her life. And it, my heart is broken. The only thing I could say to such a person. Men are not the standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. Look unto him. All the ends of the earth and be saved. Jesus Christ is the standard. Don't get discouraged in the congregation you're in by looking at the other folks. This is a hospital for sinners. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Repent and be ready. Understand the consequences of our behavior will be borne out through history. Be overcomers. Revelations 2. Multiple times in those letters to the seven churches it says, He that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. He that overcometh will I give of the hidden man. Those that are in Christ 
will be overcomers. You will overcome in this spiritual war and you will be successful. The most important thing about you is have you been born again by the Spirit of God? And that's something that each soul here, I just I had to look in your face and just say, when were you born again? And how can you describe that? And how can you bring forth the evidence in your life to say, yes, I was born of the Spirit. My heart has stopped loving these things and I'm headed in this direction. That's the most important thing. There are many who are deceived. America's made a mess of this book. The most important thing is, do you know Christ? There's a decision point in this room. It's no mistake you're here today. Don't believe in accidents, do we? This word of truth is here in power. And there's a strategic military genius that's at war against us. God commands all men and women everywhere to repent, to change, and to lay hold of Christ. I would encourage you this day, if you hadn't done that, to lay hold of Christ. Examine yourself whether you be in the faith. We don't know when the tower is going to fall. We don't know when the last battle is. But we've got to be ready for it. I pray that that would encourage you in the word of God and truth. That you can know what's going on in the world today. And you can look at it through the lens of the word of God.